Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called Life Together on Mission. Together, we're learning to join Jesus in his mission in this world. Thanks for joining us. Let me start by inviting you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at the last three verses. And if you didn't bring a Bible and you'd like to use one of the black ones in the seat rack nearby, it is on page 811. We've got the number listed up on the screen if you need to look at it while you're turning. We're going to look at Matthew 28 in just a moment. And here's what I want to ask you to do with your Bibles today if you've got those open. If, if After I read that, if you would still keep your place, because I'm going to invite you to turn back to chapter 16 of Matthew in a little bit too. So just keep that there. Now, if you're a guest today, um, this is not a normal Sunday. Uh, we do this about once a year where we talk about the vision we believe that God's given us. We renew it every year. And this year, in many ways, we're renewing it for lots of different reasons. I mentioned in the bulletin column, but with the change of our name a year and a half ago, we had to change our signage. We have to do some different things. So we took a step back and said, okay, who are we? No matter what our name is, who are we? And we realize we're a non-denominational church that appreciates our Baptist roots. We're grateful for all those, but we are Cherry Hills Church in this, in this chapter. Now, the talk that I'm going to give you today is based on just this idea that as we've prayed, we want to show you the things that God's just brought back to the focus in a refreshed way in the last 18 months. But why? Why do a vision message? The old King James Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. It also means that people just go in all kinds of directions. There's no like one way that people can move together. But also, let me just say that, um, in fact, I haven't said this yet, but along with opening your Bible, if you can just have this page ready, we have put together everything on one page. And today's going to be a little bit information heavy. All I'm trying to do is just get it on the table. It'll take a while for it to soak in to you and me, but that's okay. Uh, this is something that I think God wants us just to get introduced today. But along with that, let me say this, that when you, <clears throat> if you don't name something, you don't notice it. But when you name it, now you start to notice it more. So <clears throat> let me give you an example. Some of you have heard me tell this before. When Trish and I were about to have our first child, uh, we had a two-door car in those days. This is the mid-'80s. And, uh, and uh, so we realized that with car seats and everything, we probably needed to get a used four-door car. So we didn't have a lot of extra money, but so we went looking, and I found this car that I had never really thought I'd ever buy before, and it was a car called the Chevrolet Cavalier. Now, they stopped making them in 2005, so if you've never heard of them, that's okay. But in those days, the Chevrolet Cavalier, uh, I just remember thinking, okay, now I'm an owner of a Chevrolet Cavalier. And here's what I noticed. I had never thought about Chevrolet Cavaliers until I got one. Once I got one, guess what I saw all the time? I went, there's another one. There's another one. And there's something about naming that helps you notice. So my prayer, our, after the last service, some people came up and said, this is so helpful. Now I'm able to see it, and by naming it, I can move towards it. So that's what we want to do. We've done this before, but we feel like, we again, we're, we wanted to do it in a clear, concise, compelling way. We wanted to be able to put it on one page. And so again, it's my prayer. I've been praying for how this may land on your life, how it may become part of you. And that's what we want to do. So would you pray with me? And then we'll look 
at the mission, the vision, the values, and the strategy we believe God's giving us as a church. Now, Lord, if this vision is not from you, then it'll perish. But if it's in line with what you've dreamed for your people, then we pray that you would ignite it in our hearts so that we might be even more intentional and step into it. Because when each one of us is together on the same page and moving in the same direction, a watching world will be grateful and take notice. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so first, uh, the mission. Oh, excuse me, actually before you the mission, if you look at the top there, you see our logo. It just says Cherry Hills Church, Life Together. Now let me just tell you a quick thing about it. I don't know what your first impressions are of it, but I'll tell you what one person said to me uh, a couple months ago when I first showed them. They go, huh, I could have designed that. <laughs> and I remember thinking, yeah. And actually, I was glad to hear that comment. Here's why. When we asked the people designing our logo, we asked them to do it in lowercase font. Why? Because we sense that as a church, we want to be a humble group of people. We don't want to be hype, big hype. We don't want to draw a lot of attention to ourselves. And the truth is, is that when they said that comment, that's really who we are. We're simple. We're plain. We're everyday. We're down to earth. We're just regular people who've met an amazing God. And so at Cherry Hills Church, we just wanted to just, again, step into that, that God's calling us to just simply follow him every day as everyday regular people, and we're going to trust that he leads everyday regular people to be part of our church with us in the future. But Life Together, you'll see three times on this document, and again, I'll explain that in just a little bit uh, more. But let me go to the mission of the church. The mission never changes. It's been the same since Jesus stood on a hill right before he ascended into heaven, and he said to his followers these words in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So if you want to follow along, let me read them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a lot of authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. How long is this supposed to go on? To the very end of the age. Till Jesus returns, this is our mission. Now notice, it doesn't say go and make people that go to church every Sunday. It doesn't say go and make people that are just wanting a ticket to heaven. It says go and make disciples. So what is a disciple? Because we don't all talk like that in our culture, do we? Say, I'm a disciple. No, a disciple, and this is what we put into our vision, a disciple is any person who has decided to give themselves fully to Jesus and his mission. And so as we thought about how to say things in a fresh way, if you've been around for a while, you know we said we believe God is calling us as a church to declare war on shallow Christianity, beginning with ourselves. And we continue that idea of fighting shallow Christianity. What we were trying to say, nominal Christianity is never what Jesus had in mind. Lukewarm Christians never was never his dream. His dream was always that there would be people that would be fully full-hearted for the Lord, wholehearted. 
And so as we thought about a positive way to say that, this is the vision statement that we came up with. So would you mind, uh, obviously the mission is growing disciples who make disciples, but here's the vision. To see people of every generation giving themselves fully to Jesus and his mission. Do you mind just reading that with me so we can just let that settle on our hearts there? To see people of every generation giving themselves fully to Jesus and his mission. And again, if all you walk away with today is this idea of giving ourselves fully to Jesus and his mission, that'll, that'll be great. But here's the idea. We talk about people of every generation. Not only are we standing on the shoulders of many other people before us. I don't know if you know, but Cherry Hills is 115 years old, and in many ways, older than that. What happened is that in the 1880s, a church downtown known as Central Baptist Church that still meets downtown, felt that there needed to be, in the south side of Springfield, a church. So they helped. They began gradually with first a Sunday school class. They called it the South 7th Street Mission, eventually South 7th Street Chapel. And then in 1904, they sent 150 of their own people and helped start a church called South 7th Street Baptist Church. I drove by that building at 7th and Cedar this week because that's not very far south anymore like south is now. But I just went by, I believe it's called Restoration Church now, but just to drive by that building and just think about the fact that first it was a wooden building, then they bricked it in, but that's where they began to meet. And I'm going to talk to you later in this message about the, the covenant that they made with each other, the actual words they used that they had adopted from the same covenant that Central Baptist had written in the 1880s, they adopted in 1904. I'm going to talk to you about that history. But so... Again, over the years, South 7th Street in 1961 became Cherry Hills Baptist Church. And again, just in the last year and a half, Cherry Hills Church now. This is just some of the things God's been doing for over 115 years. But every generation, what do we mean by that? One of the sweetest things to me about Cherry Hills is that we are multi-generational. I love the fact that we have children all the way up to people over 100 years old in our church. I love that. And I think many of you do too. But the thing that God's teaching us more than ever is not just to be multi-generational, but to be intergenerational. What do we mean? Relate well. Know people in other generations besides just our own. Love and care for, serve other people, the young with the old, the old with the young, and being the kind of church that loves every generation. To see people of every, every generation giving themselves fully to Jesus and his mission is really the dream Jesus had when he cast that in Matthew 28. Now, I want to be careful here, though, and say when you talk about giving themselves fully to Jesus, what's that mean? Have you ever thought about how inspiring it is when you see any person give themselves fully to something? Some of you know I've played tennis for many years, and so just watching a tennis player like Rafa Nadal play every time giving himself fully to the sport that he plays is just inspiring to me. But when you see someone give themselves that way to Jesus Christ and his mission, it's, it, it's just, it stands out nowadays. Why? Because lukewarm, half-hearted is just so much more common. And admittedly, 
this is where most of us go, wow, I don't want to say something or make a commitment to something I can't follow through on. But friends, God is so gracious. He's looking for any person that would be willing to start moving in this direction. And he'll help any person that wants to give themselves fully to Jesus and his mission. So as we think about this, I want to make sure I don't overpromise or hype things up. This is where some people choke. This is where some people gulp. And so just turn back to Matthew 16, if you would. Here's what Jesus said about being one of his disciples. And this is why, again, when we talk about this vision, let's not say it flippantly. Let's not say it with huge, oh, yeah, this is no problem. Let's just make sure we know what we mean. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Matthew 16, 24 through 27 is where I am. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You never picked up a cross except to die on it. You didn't wear it as a necklace. You died on a cross in those days. He was basically saying, unless you're willing to die to your own self, your own plans, and being in control of your own life, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot follow me. For whoever wants to save their life for themselves will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done with me. And this idea is, is that, again, make sure we know giving ourselves fully to Jesus, it's an incredible privilege it's a credible opportunity. It's an amazing invitation, but it is high challenge. And Jesus wants to make sure, why did he give things like this? People go, can't you lower the bar? You'd get a lot more people to follow you. And Jesus said, well, here's what I know about people. If they don't get this cleared up on the front end, it'll be a fight all the rest of their life. But if they get to the place where they say, I'll yield my life to you. I'll give myself fully to you because you're the only one that really knows how to help me live my life. You're calling me into a life. If I try and save my life, I'll lose it. But if I lose my life and give it to you, I will find life. So this is the calling. This is the vision we want to see. And friends, I just want to tell you, I'm thankful this is already going on in our church family in lots of ways. Now, there's a man in our church who a number of years ago started looking at his whole life differently. And he began to give himself more fully to Jesus in our church. And as a result, he's helped a whole bunch of people experience another culture and serving Jesus in another part of the world. And uh, so I've thanked him a number of times for, hey, you know, thanks so much for giving yourself to Jesus like that and for all you've helped our church become. And he looks at me and says, you know, I don't do it for you. <laughs> and that answer thrills me more than you can imagine. Because no one's holding a gun to his head. No one's telling him, you got to do this, except Jesus. And once he got that cleared up, it's been amazing to watch what can happen with any human being. Boy, student, girl, student, child, adult. Here's one of the things that's interesting. So, I was talking with Jessica Shieldman last night because one of the things we don't want to do is silo. We don't want to just do this among adults and not among children. We want to do this just among children and not among students. So we've been talking for the last 18 months. How can we make sure every generation is doing this? 
So last night, I said to Jessica, what's your message downstairs today? She goes, here's the simple version of it. Jesus called the 12 disciples. He has called us too. Jesus called the 12 disciples. He has called us too. I said, would you write my sermons every week from now on? <laughs> that is amazing. Friends, let me say it this way. Half-hearted followers of Jesus will never change the world. But wholehearted followers of Jesus will be able to be useful in his hands and see things happen that could never happen until we come to that place. So, is that you? Is this, do you feel the Lord pulling you in that direction? I'm trusting him. Friends, if this is something that Jesus is doing, this is where the crowd divides, I know. But this is also where those people that are being truly called by Jesus will say, all right, I hear you. I'm going that way. Now, let me just talk to you about the kind of church that God wants us to continue to be. So at times we've had 12 values. We've had nine values. We've had, but one of the things we were pushed by as we met with some outside consultants is, can you make it even simpler? And can you do it in a consistent way of what the church has always been or meant to be by Jesus? So now we have five. And when we were wrestling with why are values so important? Why naming values? Here's why. Because if you live out in California and you experience the geological plate shifting, it's really hard to stand firm. If you try and build a house in an earthquake zone and the foundation is faulty, you can't build anything on top of it and expect it to last. But if the foundation is strong, then what you build on top of it will stand the test of time. And so what are the things foundational for Cherry Hills that have been foundational and that need to continue to be? And we have five here. So I want to ask you if you just read the five bold word, bold phrases with me. And I'll talk about each one of them for a moment. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. After we look through these, I'm going to actually ask you to turn to one other person and tell them which one stands out to you. Okay? That way we can you know, do this together. So let's read these five together. Jesus-centered, Bible-based, kingdom-minded, relating rightly, whole life stewards. We want to be a church of people who are Jesus-centered, Bible-based, kingdom-minded, relating rightly, whole life stewards. Now, let me talk about these really quickly. First of all, in a world that tries to homogenize and generalize everything and say, let's just all follow God, we want to make sure that we understand that God's whole plan is centered on Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Acts 4.12 that the early disciples of Jesus stood up in a crowd that wasn't necessarily jazzed to hear this. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name given from heaven in mankind by which we must, by which we must, by which we must be saved. Jesus said, John 14, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Colossians 1, which we list out to the right, <clears throat> says he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then before that passage is over, it says, so that in everything, not just church stuff, but in everything, he might have the supremacy. In other words, what? The supreme place. Jesus-centered. When our life is around Jesus rather than Jesus around us, it changes everything. 
and he can give us a different tone. And some people have spoken in the name of Jesus, but not had the Jesus kind of heart. But when he's the center of our lives, it's huge, friends. It's huge. Can I just ask you a question? Wouldn't it be great if people that meet us say, they're really into Jesus? Wouldn't it be amazing if they say, they really love Jesus? <laughs> they're captivated by Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing? And I think that's more and more what he wants us to become. Second, Bible-based. Now, this one may get us into trouble. It may make us unpopular. But we are absolutely convinced this must never change. Friends, you can go to churches nowadays, and I'm not trying to be critical of our churches. I'm simply trying to say this is reality. You can go to churches nowadays, and they'll never ask you to bring a Bible, open a Bible, or talk about the Bible. Friends, I, I just want to say this. My dad taught me this years ago. I have no authority apart from this word. What I pray happens more and more in our individual lives and in our church's lives is the very first thing we think when a decision must be made or an activity must be decided on is what does God say in his word? Rather than what does the culture say? How am I feeling today? What do I think is best? We start going, God, would you teach me from the word of God? And so we've been had this value for a long time, but let me show you how we've said it in the past. We value the Bible because it is God's unchanging word to us. We seek to submit to his life-giving teaching and authority in every area of our lives, even when it's painful, even when it's unpopular, even when it may cost us. We've got to make sure we hold up the plumb line, the compass that we need so desperately in a confusing world. And so Bible-based you know, here's what it says. Here's what Paul said to Timothy when he was passing the baton right before he died in 2 Timothy 4. He just said, look, Timothy, make sure you never change. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Boy, is this happening. And so again, without, we're not talking about bragging. We're trying to humble ourselves and say, we've got to be Bible-based. It's got to be our compass and our plumb line. Third, kingdom-minded. Jesus said to his disciples, pray like this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, my kingdom, you know, friends, let me just say this. Cherry Hills may perish one day. God's kingdom never will. His kingdom is on the move right now, even though you may not have eyes to see it. And his kingdom is wherever he has given room to reign. Wherever he has given surrendered hearts, he will reign. And so we celebrate when we see, we rejoice whenever we see God's kingdom green shoots of grace that are God's evidence of God at work. So if another church baptizes over 100 people in this town, we're going to praise God because that's kingdom. We don't want to be about cherry hills. We want to think bigger than cherry hills. We want to say, how can we as be one of the churches in this city that's as healthy as we possibly can be, that's encouraging to other churches? Why do we pray for another church? Jenny prayed for grace church this morning. You know, this week I had lunch with Dave Fox, the pastor there. I praise God for him. I praise God to how he's teaching the word of God. I live across the street from Springfield Bible. I praise God for John and Johnny Standard. I thank God for the people there. 
Let's be kingdom-minded. Fourth, relating rightly. I did a whole message on this last week, so I won't overwhelm you. But relating rightly, it is so important that we relate to each other humbly, lovingly, and authentically. We all are going to blow this at times. So the question becomes is, what do I do when I relate wrongly? Get back to relating rightly. I mean, it doesn't change. When we get away from center line, it's coming back to center line. These things keep calling us up. And so none of us get relating rightly, you know, right all the time. And some of us are in very complicated relationships. That's why we teach the boundaries class. We want to keep getting better. Here's what we understand about the Bible. The Bible is at its heart about relationships and how we learn to relate to people, to the Lord, to the world, all of that matters. And he wants to teach us how to relate rightly. That is also one of the reasons why churches are healthy or unhealthy. Here's what we've written in the past about this. We value right relationships because God took the costly initiative to make us right with him. And because wrong relationships block his Holy Spirit, we seek to be right with others, to build a sense of family, and to be a caring community. Friends, if there's any sense of the presence of God here, it's both because he has graciously decided to give us his presence, but also because we're trying to pay attention to any broken or harmed relationships. I heard even this week of some people that called each other up and said, are we okay? And let's move in that direction. That is how the God wants to work in our church. Last thing is whole life stewards. Whole life stewards. I was talking with Brian this last couple weeks, and he said, I used to silo my life. And uh, I used to think of my life as only one, you know, my Christian life, my work life, my family life. And he said, now I realize Jesus came to take over my whole life. He wants me to be a steward. He's given me all these gifts. Now how do I steward and manage them with him? And I pray that we can be a church that shares and is generous-hearted with the things that God has so graciously given us. So that's why we teach the FPU class. That's why we teach the network class, so how we can use our gifts and serve. And this is some of the things we've been doing. Now, I told you I would ask you, make sure no one's left out, but can you turn to someone near you? Just take a few uh, 30 seconds here and tell someone which one of these values you resonate most with right now today. Okay, you mind turning and saying that to somebody? Just name one of those five. Make sure no one's left out. Everybody get a chance? Okay. Again, this is just another way that we can not only do this together, but also kind of let it just begin to sink in. I told you before, this is a lot of information. I know that. So in case you're wondering, does he know this? Yes, I do. But I'm just trying to get it on the table. So let's talk about our strategy. If that's our foundation, then how are we going to give ourselves fully to Jesus? I want to talk to you about the who, and I want to talk to you about the how. So, first of all, we talked about the fact that if we follow Jesus, he's going to work in and transform the way we look at relationships. So here on the whiteboard, I hope you can see it okay, but I want to just show you that you'll see that our strategy is life together. Now, before I show you this and talk about this, let me say this. When I first moved back here uh, for the second time 24 years ago, here's what our church was saying. Learning 
to be the loving and inviting family of God. Do you hear the relationship idea in there? And this idea of, of doing life together. My dad used to say to me all the time, Jeff, we are meant to be a family in into a broken world. There's something about showing what relationship life together looks like. So as we think about this, I guess I'm a celebrity now. Um, anyway, so as we think about this, here's what we say. What do we mean when we say life together? Life together with three different relationships. With Jesus, one another, and our community and world. Now, it's real easy as a Christian to focus on one or two of those and neglect another one. But one of the ones we know for sure is that every day, every hour of the day, everything we're involved in, we need to learn how to do life together with Jesus. That's what he meant when he said, give yourself fully to me so that you can do all of life with me. I'm not just interested in doing Sundays only. That's, again, lukewarm thinking. I'm looking for disciples, people that give themselves fully to me. So when we think about that, but also when you give yourself to Jesus, he immediately connects you to other people to other people who are also giving themselves to Jesus. And some of those people are easy to love and, and do thin life with, and others are a stretch for us, but we learn as we go through that together. And then also our community and world. Again, sometimes churches just circle the wagons and they forget that there's a lost and dying world of people that have never maybe even known that they can have the hope that's found in Jesus. And so as we think about this, how do we do this? So years ago, um, some people taught me this triangle idea. And I don't know if you can see the red, and I'm very conscious of some of you closest here, is they said, think of your relational world like Jesus did, up, in, and out. Jesus was regularly spending time alone with his father. As we follow Jesus, we're going to spend time with Jesus and learn the same things like that. Jesus also had his 12 disciples as well as some other followers who were, you know, part of the inn when he spent time with them in close relationship. But also Jesus spent time outside of that circle and he cared. He cared about everyday people that were still on the way. And so as a church, how are we going to do that? How are we going to do the up in and out? How are we going to do life together with Jesus, one another, and our community and world? Well, for us, the how of that is three ways. We've talked about hungry, humble, and hospitable in the past, and that's certainly valuable to continue remembering. But we want to offer three G words to you because we think that, again, they capture this idea. Okay, so here it is. Gather, grow, go. Do you mind turning to your neighbor and trying those three phrases? Gather, grow, go. Now, if you decide you want to do it in a different order, go ahead. But I find it goes way better when you say gather, grow, go. And here's why. Very first thing as a starting point is, do we gather? Jesus said, for wherever two or three gather in my name, I'm in the middle of that. I, there's, my presence is rich in that. So he wants us to think life together. And as we do that, are we gathering? So we've listed Acts 2, 41 through 42, and Acts 2, 46. Here's what we know. As soon as the very first people that were baptized, 3,000 in one day, it says, the very next verse, Acts 42 says, and they devoted themselves. The idea was they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayer. In other words, they immediately got involved in relational ways of gathering. And Acts 2.46 says they met in temple courts and in homes. Big group, 
small group. So what Jesus is going to call us into is learning how to gather. Now, if you don't know this already, our country is moving in the opposite direction. More people are content to just gather once a month or twice at the most. More people, and there's lots of reasons for this, but I'm saying is more and more people are interested in what's being called cocooning. I can do faith by myself. We believe God's calling us even more intensely into life together. Now, I want to speak to those of you that are introverts because I know right now you're having a hard time. You're going like, that's a lot of people. And I get my battery drains fast. What I want to say is, are there some specific people you can practice this with? That's the reason we've got the connect group going on, but there may be some people. If it's not a Cheerios group, are you gathering with some other people during the week? Are you gathering this way, like you're here? By the way, thanks for being here today. But what would it look like if you made gathering, instead of a coin toss each week, a regular part where you just said, Wherever I am, I'm going to gather. If I'm on vacation, I'm going to find a place to gather with other believers. And when I'm here in town, I'm going to gather. I'm going to make it a lock. These are some of the things we're hoping. Grow. Grow. There's all kinds of spiritual disciplines and practices that the early Christians did that we can do. And we're going to talk more about those in more detail. But the last one is go. Now, if you ask me where our church can get better, it would be in this whole idea of living as sent people where we realize that's not just for pastors and extra credit missionaries and stuff like that. This every one of us, wherever we go each week, we're called to send people to live there in a redemptive way where we care about the people on our path. So again, we're going to talk more about that. In fact, next week, Brian's going to kick off our six-week series on just some simple, little, everyday missional habits that we can have as we interact with people outside our church family because God cares about people outside our walls. Now, when I was a younger pastor, I used to do the premarital counseling, and this was the days before it went online and digital and all that. So uh, young couples would fill out these tests with the number two pencil, and then they'd turn them back into me. And then I had what was a, you may have never have heard of this word before, a clear transparency. Has anybody heard of that before? And it had on it kind of just the different answers. It was a template. And I was supposed to lay that template over this page to see what answers were right and what answers might be missing. And then I could meet with a couple and say, hey, here's some strengths in your relationship. Here's some things you may want to give more attention to. Now, what I think about the gather, grow, and go is if you were to lay those three words over your life like a template, Would there be one of those that stands out that you're doing really well? And would there be one that you realize, oh man, I think Jesus is calling me to do more intentionally, more humbly, more regularly. This is what we're hoping happens. Now, as we get to this, I know this is a ton of information. So here's what I want to ask if you'd be willing to do. Would you be willing to post this in a place where for the next seven days, once a day, you would pull it out and you would read through it. Maybe even whisper it out loud so you can hear it, because sometimes it's easier to remember things if you both hear it and see it. But would you be willing to do that? Now, you can totally do it with someone else too. But at a minimum, would you be able, willing to do this once a day for the next seven days, just to see, and the whole time, just say, Lord, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to understand about this? What do, what do you want me to name, basically, in this list that you want me to notice more? And so let's just pray that the Lord will continue to make that uh, more powerful in our life. So 
Can I just say that this morning as I was working on this, I was thinking about all the ways this has already been going on. We were telling stories in our staff meetings, and there was a girl in the elementary age group that came to one of our leaders recently and said, could I have a Bible? There's a girl at school who I want to tell about Jesus. Would you give me a Bible that I could give one to her? I remember thinking, she gets it. She understands that Jesus has called her to do life together, both with people here, but also outside our walls. Then we were talking about some students in our high school ministry that have looked for ways to build bridges with some of their classmates who don't even know what they think about Jesus because they've never really known as much. And so they've just been looking for ways to build bridges. And then I've thought about the people in this church. Jenny already mentioned it. Those of you that have been teachers, both in public schools and homeschooling, that are looking for ways to build in to the next generation at a time that's very difficult. And administrators and people like that that are praying over that. I thank God for the business owners, the business leaders, people in the business world. I thank God for the people in the medical fields. I thank God for people that are fostering and adopting and looking for ways to be redemptive, people that are mentoring, people that are volunteering, people that are looking for ways to do life together with Jesus, one another, and this world, our community. Are we helping be part of Jesus' renewing, refreshing, redemptive part in this world? So here's just a couple thoughts before we close. 24 years ago, when I got a call from some people at Cherry Hills asking if I would be willing to come back, I'd been a youth pastor years before. I just remember the Lord impressing on me, I want you to go back because I've been doing something really neat in that group of people. And I'm not going to tell you all that's going to happen, but I want you to go back and I want you to be part of that. I want you to do life together with Cherry Hills. And I want you to try and help Cherry Hills live out the DNA that I've been forming for a long time. So I just want to keep paying attention to what God's already been doing long before I ever showed up. And what would it look like if you become part of what God's doing long before, you know, you showed up How can we be part of this? How can we all work off the same blueprint? How can we all move in the same direction? So 13 years ago, this weekend, we worshiped in this room on a Sunday morning for the first time. I think that's pretty amazing. I remember that day, and I remember at that time, there was about 650 of us. Uh, In the last few months, we've had like 1,300 times and stuff like that, so basically about half as many people as coming. But we sensed that we were supposed to keep making room for what God wanted to do in our community and world. And so we, we went to the sacrifice to just come out here, and God was hand has been with us. And so we are so thankful. And what's happened in the last 13 years is that a whole bunch of people from our own church have accepted the call to go to other nations. And we're thankful for all the different missionaries he's raised up. But a whole bunch of people have also stayed where they were and looked at it differently because they had a sense of calling from Jesus, that they were a sent person right where they were. And it's been amazing to watch how people have grown in their way that they look at our community and world. There have been 
ways we've given over $7 million in the last 13 years to things outside our walls, our community and world. That's way more than we would have been able to give if we hadn't continued to just obey Jesus and stay the size we were. And there are all kinds of things. Just so you know, we believe God's actually calling us to enlarge these facilities one more time, to make more atrium space so people can gather together, meet together, to enlarge our children's space because it's been brought to the limit, and also to eventually remodel and enlarge this worship space so that on a day like this, when we're packed in like sardines, there's still room for people that God may draw. I don't know what's going to happen, but I want to read to you one more thing about our history. Some of us have been listening to a podcast called This Cultural Moment. In the second season, there is an interview with a pastor from London named Pete Hughes. And Pete Hughes says these words that really got some of our attention. Your destiny is hidden in your history. There's something about what God wants to do in the future that you need to look back to find out what that is in terms of the spiritual inheritance of the place you are. So Brian was going through some of the archives and just researching some things. And I told you that in 1904, when our church started, they adopted the same covenant that the church that helped found them had. They said, those are our words too. So here's a picture of that document from all the way back in the 1800s that eventually got adopted 115 years ago by South 7th Street Baptist Church. Here's some of the words, and I wanted to see if you see anything that stands out. We covenant to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and to give ourselves, what's the next word, friends? Oh, fully to him. We solemnly covenant with each other to walk, what's the next word, friends? Together. We endeavor to habitually train up those under our care. We haven't changed anything. This is who we always have been. This is who God made us to be. And where it will take us, I do not know. But I want to ask you if you would give yourself first to him and then to his mission. Because years from now, I think we'll look back and have no regrets if we do. But the only way we can move forward is because we're convinced that he is faithful. I've been fickle. I've flubbed up. I've failed many times in this whole journey. But he has been so faithful. Kept bringing us back to center line, kept providing, kept opening doors, kept opening our eyes. So we need to worship him. That's where our confidence will be found in who he is. So we want to sing about how faithful he is and has been. And we want to praise him because he's the hope of the world. And we want other people to meet him. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.